morning, church. Uh, if you are new today, welcome. Uh, I'm Pastor Albert. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, and I just want to give a quick shout out and props to the praise team. You guys are awesome. I don't often get to sit in worship, um, but I was so touched and so blessed by the worship today. And um, I'm so proud and thankful for the worship team that I get to lead. I love you guys. Um, Praise God, this day actually comes around once a year for me, so it's a joy and a privilege to preach. Uh, at the same time, uh, it takes over my life uh, for one week, and um, my wife is glad that Sunday has come. Uh, <laughs> we will be continuing our uh, summer series, Christ in the Old Testament. Pastor Huey, again, kicked, kicked us off. Uh, in the garden in Genesis 3, and he reminded us to behold and treasure Christ in all of Scripture. And last Sunday, we had our guest preacher, Pastor Will, come uh, to walk us through Esther 6, in which he talked about receiving honor from God. And today, we're going to be in Genesis 17, and my sermon is titled, Christ in the Promise. And so we're going to look at the story of Abraham and Sarah, and one of the major themes in their story is that of waiting. And we sang about that all today. And so today we're going to see two things, two points today. Waiting gone wrong and waiting with hope. Let me read our scripture for today. We're in Genesis 17, verse 1 through 7, and 15 through 17. This is the word of the Lord. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Verse 3, then Abraham fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Verse 6, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Let me continue in verse 15. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, by your power, you would use me to display your glorious wonders and your grace. And would you open up our hearts and our ears to hear the good news of the gospel. In your name we pray. Amen. 
Many of you are, are somewhat familiar with the story of Abraham and Sarah, and more so if you grew up in vacation Bible, VBS or, or children's ministry, and you recall the song, Father Abraham. Now, we have some uh, children here today. This could be an interactive sermon here, uh, but the song kind of goes like this. Father Abraham had many sons, had many sons, had Father Abraham. I'm one of them, so are you, so let's all praise the Lord. All right, and there's like fun motions to it. My favorite is uh, uh, chin up and turn around, okay? Uh, but in this song, Abraham is called Father Abraham for a reason. You see, earlier in Genesis 12, we see the beginning of the promise taking place with God and Abraham, and this is called the Abrahamic covenant, right? God's covenant promise with Abraham. It says this in Genesis 12, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And even in our passage today, God is once again confirming the promise with Abraham. God is making a promise, a covenant with Abraham that through his lineage, a great nation will come. In verse 5, uh, we see God even changes Abram's name, which means high father, to Abraham, which literally means father of multitudes. See this in Genesis 17, 5. No longer shall you be called Abraham, Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. God promises Abraham fruitfulness and blessing that a nation will come from Abraham, even kings, and not only kings, but the king of kings, Jesus, will come through the line of Abraham. God also changes Sarai's name to Sarah. And God also makes a promise with Sarah. And God says, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. And so they waited. And they waited, and 25 years goes by from the original promise in Genesis 12 and the confirmation of the promise we see in Genesis 17. And so I want to ask you this morning, what happens when waiting goes wrong? Now let me answer that. It weakens our faith. Abraham is rich. He's a blessed man. He has a beautiful wife. Scripture says she's beautiful. And from, this, from the worldly standpoint, he has everything. But there is one thing that he lacked. Genesis 15, 3. Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. He didn't have any children how could he be the father of the nations? How can this promise be fulfilled if he has no children? This is the problem that Abraham is facing. My father Abraham had many sons, but at this point, he had none. He's 99 years old. Most people at this age have, if they live this long, have had their children and grandchildren, and they're probably on their great-grandchildren. 
You see, the promise had a problem. Sarah was barren. And Abraham and Sarah are waiting for the promise of a child. Friends, waiting isn't easy. In fact, this modern world that we live in, everything is at our fingertips in an instant. It's instantly accessible, right? We live in the world of Amazon. I tell you, that buy now button is of the enemy. Get thee behind me. Right? It's, in an instant, you see what you want, and you click it, and it could even have same-day delivery. That, that doesn't happen right? back in their time. Waiting is difficult. You know, I would assert that most of us aren't good at waiting. I know I'm not good at waiting. You go to uh, the favorite restaurant that you want to, there's probably a line, and then you got to wait for your food. Right? You, you're standing, you go to Costco at the wrong time, you know, what's gonna, you know what's waiting for you, that long line, right? Or you're stuck in traffic on 66 or 495, and, and, and the worst one is when you're stuck at a red light because somebody was looking at their phone and you miss the green light. If some of you are guilty of this today, God forgives you. Uh, <laughs> but what happens when perhaps these these are less important things to wait upon, but what happens when the things that we wait upon carry more significance, when they carry more weight? Right? Waiting to get into the college or program that you want to go to, waiting to get the job or the house that you've been longing for, for those who are single today, waiting to be in the relationship, or ultimately to get married for those wanting a child waiting to have a baby to start a family. Dr. Thabiti says this, waiting is sometimes the most difficult expression of faith we're ever called to make. Waiting is hard. Let me ask you, beloved, how many of you are in a season of waiting and your faith is being tested Picking up back in our story, we see Abraham and Sarah struggling to conceive, struggling to have a baby. God had given them this promise, but nothing is happening. They are losing hope. They are losing faith. And so what happens when they are waiting goes wrong? They go, hey, let's give God a hand. Let's help God here. And so what they devise is Abraham uh, for Abraham to sleep with their handmaiden Hagar and let her have the baby. And that will become our baby. And we will help God keep his promise. Let's help God out. And, and from this comes Ishmael, who is called child of the flesh. Not the child of the promise. Pastor Tony Evans says it like this. Whenever you mix man's ways with God's way, you delay God's way from happening. You see, because Abraham and Sarah weren't able to have a child on their own at the time, they acted out in their flesh. And so whenever you try to help God out in your flesh, you ultimately delay what God is trying to do simply because you can't wait. 
Some of you are delaying God, what God has intended for you, because you are trying to do it out of your own flesh. You want to be sovereign in your life. You want the control. You want to be king. Some of us today are trying to help God out by trying to do it our way because we think we know better instead of waiting upon God's good and perfect timing and plan. Paul Tripp gives five signs for when waiting weakens your faith, when waiting goes wrong. And I want to give us a little time for self-examination and see if your faith has been shaken because of a season of waiting uh, on the Lord, whatever the circumstance or situation might be. And granted, some of you may not be particularly in a season of waiting right now, but that doesn't mean that, it's, that you haven't gone through it before, or it doesn't mean that ultimately uh, that season will come. And so I want you to listen to this. First is this. Does your waiting give way to doubt? Do you find yourself questioning God's goodness? Do you find yourself questioning his wisdom over and, and your, God's love over your life? And the longer you wait, the more you start to doubt God's goodness. And that inch of doubt over a period of time becomes a mile. And maybe you're sitting here today doubting God's goodness in your life. And ultimately, that means that you doubt that God is good and that God truly loves you. Maybe your waiting has gone wrong. Secondly, maybe you're experiencing anger and you blame God. God, why isn't this happening for me? And you sit here finding yourself feeling wronged by God. I don't know if you've ever felt that, but you, you, if, it almost feels right to be angry at God. God, this is a good thing. Uh, other people seem to be getting what they are waiting for. Why not me? Maybe today your anger is not so much the people or the circumstance in your life, but you are angry at the one who is supposed to be in control of all of this. You're angry at God. Maybe more, more than feeling disappointed today, you feel anger. That could be a sign that your waiting has gone wrong. There's also giving way to discouragement this is where you begin to question, if only, what if? And then what, what happens if? What happens if I never get married? What happens if we are never able to get into the school or get the job that we've been wanting for? What happens if we never get pregnant? Worry and dread begin to seep into your heart and your mind rather than being filled with joy it's stress and anxiety, worry and sorrow, and you lie awake at night feeling so tired and discouraged. Maybe some of us today are here discouraged in our waiting. Next, sometimes that temptation comes when we look at others and we go, I wish I was that person or have what they have. Or be in the situation or position that they're in. Our waiting gives way to envy. Maybe you look at your peers who are the same age as you. And you look at them and they seem so much far ahead in their life. And you look at yourself and you're not there and you envy that. 
I know this is so easy in our day and age, isn't it? Because of social media, because of Instagram, filled with all of life's happiest stories. It's easy to let envy into your heart. Maybe you find yourself saying, if God really loves me as much as God loves that other person, and he's giving them what they have, why not me? Tripp says this, envy is about feeling forgotten and forsaken, coupled with a craving to have what your neighbor enjoys. Do you find yourself today feeling forgotten or forsaken? Maybe your waiting has gone wrong. And lastly, it results in inactivity. If we feel like God isn't coming through for us, that God isn't as good as he says he is, or that it feels like God is withholding good things from his children and playing favorites, then why try? What's, what's the point? And we give in to inactivity. Friends, maybe your waiting has gone wrong. Maybe some of us find ourselves struggling with one or maybe all of these things today. Maybe more, maybe more of it should be a sign, a warning sign that something is wrong with our waiting. And if we are so convicted, we should come in repentance. You see, for Abraham and Sarah, they were in such a dark place. And more so Sarah, they were discouraged, angry, full of envy. That when God reminded them again of the promise, you know what they did? They laughed. Genesis 17 says this, Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Abraham, he doesn't just laugh here. He, the scripture says he falls on his face laughing. It's like this incredulous laugh. To him it was like ridiculous. He knows he's 100 years old. How will he have a child? One commentator writes that Abraham's laughter is not, not more so disbelief in the Almighty God, because God never voices disapproval for his laughter. In contrast, though, when Sarah laughs at the same promise, the Lord rebukes her. You see, in Genesis 18, it says, Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years, the way of the woman of woman had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Their laughter is very revealing. Abraham, though still believing in the promise, is probably deeply disappointed in Sarah. Who couldn't have children? In that day and time, a woman's childbearing meant everything. That was her contribution to the family. That was her contribution to society. Her children and the ability to have kids was her self-worth. Your children meant everything. They were your reputation. They were your retirement plan. Your children meant security. It meant hope for the future. You see, if you didn't have children, no one would be able to take care of you. For a woman, it was as close to being a disgrace and one to be pitied. One can only imagine the pain and the sorrow and the shame that Sarah felt. Her identity was being wrapped up in childbearing. 
So when Sarah laughs, you can hear it's not a laughter of happiness, but of deep hurt and bitterness, a laughter produced as a result of years of crying in tears and in utter hopelessness. Friends, when our waiting goes wrong, we can all end up in a place of hopelessness, of pain, of discouragement and anger. But the gospel today reminds us that the ultimate goal of waiting is to point us to God's goodness. And we will see that waiting is one of God's primary tools to shape our character and grow our faith. Therefore, we must learn to wait well. And so how do we wait well? We wait with hope. You see, what waiting by definition means that there's something hoped for at the end of our wait. To wait and, and to hope are intimately intertwined. And so the question isn't just what are you waiting for? It's actually what are you hoping for today? Therefore, to wait well means we must wait with hope in God's promise and in God's character. And so the psalmist writes this in Psalm 135, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits for the Lord, and in his word I hope. Hope in God's promises. Put your hope in the living, life-giving word of the Lord. And anchor your hope in the word. These are just a few of the many promises found in Scripture and anchor your hope in God's promises. First Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Romans 8, 26, likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things will work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. People of God, when we are tempted to doubt and feel discouragement creeping into your heart while we wait, run to God's promises and may they remind you of the hope we have in Christ. Secondly, put your hope in God's character. If you are in a season of waiting, look up. And see Christ in all of his excellencies. Look up and see the wonders of our God. Behold his unfailing goodness, his faithfulness and love over your life. Psalm 46 calls us to be still and know that I am God. Friends, how, how can we be calm in the midst of the storms of our lives? We let our hearts rest and be still upon the Lord. We allow ourselves to wait upon God. Instead of anxiously waiting for something that you're hoping for, let your heart be still and trust and find hope in the unchanging, unwavering character of God. If God says he is good, that means that his ways are good. And if God's ways are good, that means his answers are good even if it may not be the answer that we, we may want to hear. I love what Courtney Doctor says. She says this, it's 
far too easy to view God's character through the lens of our situation instead of the other way around. If we are going through a hard time, then God must be harsh. Or if we are going through a trial, then God must be angry. Or if we aren't getting what we want, then God must be unjust or unkind. And she goes on to to say that actually we are looking at it from the wrong lens, from the wrong point of view. Friends, don't let your situation or your circumstance dictate your view of God. Instead, flip the narrative, flip it around, and let God's character dictate how you view your circumstance. If we believe these things about God's character, then that he is for us, that that means he is going to be with us, working for our good and our trials. If we believe that God is our refuge and strength, that means we will always be safe. If we believe that God is a merciful God, that he's a gracious God, and that God is slow to anger, rich in love, then we can rest in the midst of our anxiousness and doubt because our hope is in God's character. Not in ourselves, not in another person, but in Christ and Christ alone. If we know that God's character is that he is infinitely wise, infinitely loving, then you can trust That God will never forsake you. He will never leave you. He will never leave you stranded in the desert. He will never, even in the midst of our greatest pains and sorrows, God will carry you through. Friends, let us be still and know that he is God. If today you are waiting on something, remember that ultimately... It's not what we are waiting for, but who we are waiting on. It's not what we are waiting for, but who we are waiting on. Ultimately, it's the Lord that you're waiting on. And I'm paraphrasing Courtney Doctor here, but she says, if we put our hope in getting what we want, the chances are we could very well be deeply disappointed or even become disillusioned. However, if we put our hope in the one who is infinitely wise and infinitely good and infinitely loving, then that hope will never disappoint us. Let's go back to Sarah. Look at what God does for her. God transforms her laughter. Genesis 21, 1 through 3, the Lord visited Sarah and he said, And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age. At the time of which God had spoken to him, Abraham called the name of his son who was born in him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. She goes on in verse 6. God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham and Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Do you know what Isaac means in Hebrew? It means laughter. Because God had turned the laughter of hopelessness into the laughter of hope. 
God's response to Sarah's laughter was this in Genesis 18, 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? Friends, nothing is too hard for the Lord. God is a God who wants to turn our mourning into dancing again. He's come to lift our sorrow. God will always come through on his promises to us. You see, this story and this passage hits home for me in a very personal way this morning. And even preparing this message was very difficult for me. You know, I I had to question myself, (laughs) do I really believe this? You see, me, uh, my wife, Ellen, and I, we've been trying to start a family of our own. And we've been longing for to have a baby, and it's taken some time, and it hasn't been easy. In fact, it's probably been the hardest thing that we've gone through in our marriage. And I've got my wife's permission to share this, but one night I remember being stirred in my sleep, and I abruptly awake to hear my wife screaming in pain. And I turn over to see her with tears flowing down her face, and she's grabbing at her stomach because she's hurting, and she's in pain. And I remember distinctly her crying out into the night, I don't want to live anymore, that I can't even have kids anyway. And in that moment, you know, I was shook. I didn't know how to respond, and so I just held her and Of course, later we reflected and, you know, she didn't mean what she was saying. But the pain was so deep. The hurt was so real. You see, a month prior to that, we had our first miscarriage and and we were working through that. I remember her surprising me with a box with a little card in it and, and the pregnancy test that said that we're pregnant And we were overcome with such joy, such happiness. Finally, it happened. Everything that we prayed for, everything that we've longed for. And and then to find out the the bad news and the the soul-crushing disappointment, receiving the news that we had lost the baby was devastating. See, friends, I share this because this is... This is real. This is an ongoing struggle for Ellen and I. The, the pain is real. In fact, I, I still know where the box is that she used to surprise me with. I just haven't been able to get myself to let it go yet. And perhaps there are some of you who are struggling with the same thing today. And if you are, I want to encourage you that you aren't alone. And I want to remind you that God's delays are not always God's denials. And for all of us who are struggling with whatever we are waiting upon God for, I want to remind you, don't put your hope in what you're expecting or waiting for. Put your hope in the Lord who is the way maker, the promise keeper, The light in the darkness, who is our living hope. And I promise you that if you wait with God's 
promises sealed on your heart and an understanding of who God is, his character, no matter the outcome of what you are waiting for, whether God gives it to you or not, you will not be disappointed. You will not be disheartened. You will not feel like you missed out on something or that your life is over. You will not well up in bitterness and anger, especially because you think God has withhold, withheld something good from you. Rather, my beloved, your faith will be strengthened. So what? I want to end with some quick application. Number one, you are not alone. Again, people have been waiting all throughout the Bible. Even here, people are in seasons of waiting. You are not alone. Secondly, our waiting must be active. You realize our waiting is active. Don't let your discouragement lull you into inactivity. Rather, actively wait upon God. Actively remember God's promises and actively trust in God's character. Actively worship God in all that you do. Thirdly, celebrate how little control you have. You see, waiting should actually be a relief because we ultimately realize God is the one who is in control. That means you can rest and you can wait because you trust the one who is in control. Next, celebrate God's commitment to his work of grace. Waiting is one of God's most powerful tools of grace. Realize that the wait itself is a gift of grace. Paul Tripp says it like this, waiting is not only about what you will receive at the end of the wait. Waiting is about who you will become as you wait. That's what's most important. Next, count your blessings. If, you, if we believe that God is good and that God is the giver of good gifts to his children, then we can count our blessings I remember this one story uh, Pastor Sam used to say, uh, and he, when he wanted to teach his children, Olivia and Natalie, I think they're here today, uh, how to be thankful. And he go, it goes like this. Every time that they would get thirsty and ask for water, he would take them aside and go to the fridge and make them wait. And before he would give them some water, he would ask them, Olivia, Natalie, why do we wait? And they, in turn, reply in unison, we wait to appreciate. You guys remember that? <laughs> you know, I, I try this at home to practice, and since I don't have kids yet, I, I use my dog, Mochi. And I ask Mochi, Mochi, why do we wait before I give her a treat? And, and I use that time so she can appreciate everything that I do for her. <laughs> Remember God's kindness unto us, and instead of being filled with anxiety on what you don't have, count your blessings. Lastly, ultimately, one thing that we are all waiting on is eternity. Our present waiting while on this earth should make us long for our home. People of God, we are not home yet. 
Our ultimate home is heaven. And because of Christ's promise to us that for all who believe in Christ, you shall have everlasting life, that means while we wait for eternity, though trials and tribulations may come, the gospel reminds us that because of Christ's death on the cross for us, we who were once sinners condemned to death receive now the forgiveness of Christ and the right, Christ's righteousness is upon us. And one day when we go home to be with the Lord, and when that day comes, to, when, the, when the world comes to an end, we are given the promise in Revelation 21 that in heaven he will wipe away every tear. Death shall be no more. There will be no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. Beloved, keep your eyes fixed upon eternity and keep telling yourself this is not our final destination. In conclusion, waiting is like a spiritual muscle. We need to work it out. We need to develop it. We must learn to wait well, Christ Central. And how do we do that? We need to be wary of the warning signs when waiting goes wrong. Secondly, we need to wait with hope in God's a trusting in God's promises and God's character. I want to close with this quote from Courtney Doctor. It says this, God never promises that our seasons of waiting will end by receiving exactly what you want. Not all infertility ends with a baby. Not all cancer ends with a cure. Not all singleness ends with a spouse which means that our hope can't be anchored in the things that we're waiting for. Our hope has to be anchored in something far greater, the promises and the character of God. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord, we take a hold of this truth today, and we know, I know, that I needed to be reminded of this again and again and again because my heart, my soul can be so impatient sometimes. So as we reflect and as we wait upon you, Lord, would you challenge us to wait well and to put our hope and trust in you, your promises, and your character. It's in your name we pray.